welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship, and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I am here, as always, with Father Stephen Gauthier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Great to be back. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement. Father Stephen, uh, today I thought it'd be a good idea to get down on our program some background on probably probably one of the buzziest buzzwords that I keep hearing in church circles today, and that is catechesis, or sometimes catechism. Um, I kind of have this vague notion that catechesis is kind of a kind of a fancy word for Sunday school or teaching what we believe or something like that. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, but everyone's kind of all about catechism. I'm seeing a lot of podcasts and especially nowadays that are kind of like audio catechism and catechesis. And, and, uh, you know, our, our people today (laughs) need to be catechized. They need catechesis. So, um, so let's, let's, let's give some background on, on what exactly is catechesis and, and catechism and what's the difference between those two terms and, uh, yeah, I think this uh, this will be a, a, some fun background for, for, for our folks. So let's get into it. Okay, well, it might help to start out with the, uh, the vocabulary. I mean, actually, the word, Greek word for teach is didaskein. And that's where we get disciple from and things. But we have another Greek word is katakain, which means to echo or resound like in a trumpet, you know, and has sort of that reverberation or an echo. Mm-hmm. And so it was used in Greek to talk about oral teaching, the idea of back and forth oral teaching. So that was it. So it's a, the emphasis on oral teaching was this special verb, katakain, as opposed to didaskain. And it's also derivative teaching. Remember we talked about how we, we still have that in our degrees and things at universities, that a doctor, a master's degree, magister in Latin meant a, a teacher. You're qualified to teach something, like you teach algebra. And a doctor meant you were not only capable of teaching, but you were able of dealing with new topics in the subject. Hmm. That's why your doctors have a dissertation. And so it's sort of like that uh, uh, catechesis. Uh, it comes from the word catechain, which is oral teaching. It, uh, the idea of fundamentally the oral teaching or the basic teaching. Okay. So it's oral. So you said... You said um back and forth is it kind of like the like sac- an echo yeah like an echo okay back and forth so it's not like Socrat is it like socratic method like question and answer or is it or well it certainly later on develops that aspect to it okay okay but from the very beginning there's this notion that this is something involving some degree of of, of responsiveness okay okay so responsiveness it's re- re- resonating echoing so let's talk about the earliest catechesis what did that look like well, going back to the 4th and 5th century, with Christianity became the religion of the empire, suddenly there was a, a lot of people who were interested who were never interested before. You know, now that's the state religion. Many wanted to become Christians. And the question became, how do you prepare adults for baptism systematically with crowds? And they ended up having a three-phased program. And the first phase was mentorship in Christian living. We've talked about that. You being a Christian meant living in a substantially different way than you did before you were a Christian. A lot of things in ancient life had to be changed, and you have a sponsor who is basically your mentor. You know, they would simply walk you through and say, this is going to have to change your life, and make sure you basically were living a life that's compatible with Christian morality. 
Then you had a role in Lent. And during that period, you would learn two things. You would learn what do we believe, which is the baptismal creed. And you'd learn how do we pray, which is the Lord's Prayer. And then after Easter, you would have what we call mystagogy. You would actually say, you just had baptism and Eucharist. What's, what has just happened? I mean, what are the deeper meanings? Of, we know that basically what it means, but fundamentally, spiritually, what does it mean to be baptized and to receive Eucharist? So that was the original three-phase. Uh, first of all, we get people ready with sponsorship, which is the origin of baptismal sponsors. You start with the, what do we believe and how do we pray? And then you end with uh, mystagogy. What's the meaning of the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and of baptism? Mm. And that happens after you get baptized, right? That'd be right. The week after, the week of Easter was traditionally, and we have some great, remember we have, uh, we've talked about um, Cyril of Jerusalem, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ambrose of Milan. We yeah. have a number of really excellent examples from the ancient world of these this training that took place the week following your baptism. Mm. And here's what's just, here's the deeper meaning of your baptism. And in some ways, some people believe that First Peter was basically doing this. Because ah. First Peter is basically saying, now that you're a Christian, it has a lot of baptismal imagery. Yeah. A lot of people think, I think they're correct, that this was basically instructions for new Christians. That's why the church has traditionally read First Peter uh, in, the, in the period right after Easter. So in these, the, these three phases that, catechesis kind of gets split out into this is this is mainly a result of needing needing to figure out how to get this kind of all standardized because there's a ton more people than we once had trying to convert um so so this is a bit of of standardization of what's gone before yeah it's a difference like for being a tutor it's very different from having a class of 30 kids yeah, yeah, there you go. You know, how you treat you individually and things is very different. Saying, I'm going to have a lot of people coming from different backgrounds and like, how do I make sure I meet all their, do the best to meet all of their needs? And how do I make sure I'm not missing anything, mm-hmm. you know, in this preparation? So what do we believe? How do we live? Uh, how do we pray? And what's the deeper meaning of our sacramental life, which is so central? It's what we do every Sunday. It's what mm-hmm. you do to, when you first come to the church. It's what we do every Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So that's that's the earliest stuff, right? So we're talking right. like 4th and 5th century. Yeah. So what does it look like going forward? Well, in the 6th century, there's a fundamental change. Because by the 6th century, we're having a lot of infant baptism. Because basically people, once they're Christians, are having their children baptized. And so catechesis tends to now focus on people who've already been baptized who are preparing for confirmation in the West. So, you know, they've been baptized when they were a child, but they're saying they still have to be trained in the faith, and they would do this in the connection with getting ready for the bishops laying on of hands for confirmation. Right, because in the in the West, right, you know, previously on Word and Table, in the West, right, the, the rite of confirmation, which used to be packaged in with the baptismal rite, got separated out once the bishop couldn't be everywhere. Exactly so, right. Okay. In the East, they stayed together, but in the West, they were separated out, and so this is a great time for people to do that training. Yeah, it really opens up a nice window there uh, to insert kind of catechesis. Okay, okay, great. That makes sense. So what was was taught here? Well, we pretty much have the pattern gets of we learn what do we believe, the creed, basically the baptismal creed, the apostles' creed. That's the fundamental, our baptismal creed. How to pray, the Lord's Prayer. That's what, by the way, the church fathers, it's a, it's a, 
there are endless uh, wonderful essays on the meaning of the Our Father from the Church Fathers. I mean, it's one mm-hmm. thing that mm-hmm. many, many Church Fathers do a beautiful essay because it's such an important prayer to them. Uh, what's the meaning of baptism and Eucharist? How do we live in the sense of the Ten Commandments now, organizing it around the Ten Commandments, and then focusing on how the Ten Commandments are understood through the two great commandments? So that tends to be your basic grid of how do we really make sure people have the basics of the faith. How, what do we believe? How do we pray? What's the meaning of our sacramental life? How do I live in the sense of um, the Ten Commandments as interpreted to the through two great commandments, mm-hmm. love of God and neighbor? So this is all, it, it's, it sounds like more or less the same content as the last era, just placed after baptism since, since you're more right. likely an infant being baptized and now needing to be instructed. And also going uh, into the Ten Commandments as being the basic. Uh, remember, originally it came more in the context of just getting your life in order for people living out in the world. Now it's sort of organized around the Ten Commandments as an organizing principle. Got it, got it. Okay. Oh, that's very cool. I didn't. I didn't realize that the 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 Ten Commandments certainly not left behind at all in, in Christian oh, no, no, moral because instruction. They, uh, yeah, that's how we basically put moral theology. We would package it in terms of the Ten Commandments. So, how do we deal with the different aspects of our lives through the Ten Commandments? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, this is kind of about what time is is this? Did you say? I would say this would be the. Uh, yeah, this is in the sixth century where this change happens. Okay. But gradually, what happens? is it gets less and less formal. Mm-hmm. And by the late middle, and here's what the theory was, is what the Orthodox have, is that you sort of learn faith like a language. You'll sort of pick it up by being there and having questions answered. So it uh, becomes less and less formal by the time of the Reformation. Okay, okay. And I that's going to be a problem because frankly, when it's less formal, a lot of, you know, it's like, think of oil changes. <laughs> okay. Why do I say that? I'm Have you ever been in your car just driving around saying, boy, I feel in the mood for an oil change. <laughs> yeah. It would really be great. This is oil change day. You normally say, if I don't have this, you know, here's I have the little um, sticker on my yeah, windshield. Yeah. And so what happens when you say, yeah, they're going to pick it up and they're going to ask questions. That's true, but it's getting sloppier. And so one of the things, the need for better education for everybody, the need to be more intentional is going to really come to the fore at the Reformation. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into the Reformation then. So what what change happens in how people are catechized? Well, everyone agrees that there has to be a higher level of understanding of the faith. It comes, first of all, from, from the great reformers themselves. Is that there has to be this personal connection, which revives in Catholicism the need to say, we do have to have much better training for people. Mm-hmm. And the person who really... Uh, moves from catechesis to something that's going to be dear to us, catechism, is Martin Luther. Mm. There were some examples of this earlier, but Martin Luther is the one who on every side is going to change everything because he is the one who invents the idea on a widespread scale of frequently asked questions, FAQ. <laughs> frequently <laughs> asked questions. Okay. And so he puts it in a Q&A format. And he says, we need to do the creed the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and a teaching on baptism and Eucharist. And he did too. He had a small catechism and a large catechism. Mm-hmm. And they were enormously popular. I mean, they were really successful. And the Reformed churches, the Calvinist churches, followed suit. They put out the Heidelberg Catechism. And we had a catechism. Our very first prayer book. So everyone's following 
Luther's lead in this in this regard. Yeah, the, he. You know, I actually read a book recently about how he was kind of a genius with the printing press, wasn't he? Like, it, like the yeah. printing press as a technology um, was uh, what g- g- gave people a lot of um, new op- new possibilities. But he was sort of the Steve Jobs guy that really understood what it could do and and yeah. really popularized it that's really well, just really as cool, gutenberg yeah. was a german here we have another good german. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, they, they go. mastered the internet of their time so do the roman catholics do they do they get in on this i want to say a little more about us though the anglican church oh sure sure yeah we uh we followed in on this with our own catechism in the first book of common prayer in 1549 and you'll know where guess where they put it between the baptismal service and the confirmation service Oh, okay. Which yeah, fits so. in the notion that this is the connection between the two. So right in there, yeah. But Roman Catholics said this was too good to um, uh, not to use, and so they jumped on it as well, big time. A matter of Peter Canisius, uh, you know, um, was famous for one of his, his catechisms uh, that was used uh, for many, many printings for, for several hundred years. Okay, so this, so, so Luther's really the guy that, that puts this in a Q&A format for the first time. And that, I mean, that's, that's a huge influence, honestly, on what we're doing here, Father Stephen, you know, yes, I always wanted word and table to be, uh, you know, a conversation. Uh, so it's, it's cool to see that we, we stand in, in, in such a, such a, uh, an august line here. Well, if you, if you like beer, then you and the, and the, and the big L are, are yeah, there we go. Is, it's haunting. <laughs> it's haunting. I do like beer. Yeah. There. Okay. <laughs> well, that's great. And this became the normative form of catechesis in the 19th and 20th centuries. Mm. I mean, everyone began doing catechism. So notice the difference. Catechesis is basically how do we form Christians, give them their basic Christian training, the very basic Christian training. And we move from baptismal and confirmation preparation to you actually, Luther saying, hey, this Q&A format. And that just takes over the day everywhere. Catholic, Protestant, everyone takes over in the West Mm -hmm. through the 19th and 20th centuries. Okay, great. So we get this kind of new format um, driven in some ways by print media. Um, and that, I mean, so is it fair to say, Father Stephen, that's that's pretty much what we've had ever since, right? Like kind of riffs on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, even what we're, like I said, even what we're doing here today uh, seems to be kind of a, a riff on that format. Um, so maybe we can talk a little bit about just kind of where we find catechism uh, today and and what are the you know uh, no 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 way of doing this seems to be completely perfect but it also has its advantages so so let's talk about those well i lived uh, through some of the 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 times being an old guy is a lot of changes came in the 50s and 60s and things what basically happened let's talk about the advantages of why this was so popular the number one reason people liked a catechism with the questions and answers and things, was it allowed to make sure, remember in the Middle Ages, the trouble is people were missing things. If you try to just pick up on the fly, you're going to have big gaps in your learning. So people love that if you mastered the catechism, it meant you really had comprehensive scope. You made sure you were having a basic coverage of everything, almost like a survey course in, you know, in college, a survey mm-hmm. course. Of English. You, knew, you knew all the names. The quality was standard. A nice thing here is it was a nice reference. You know, you didn't have to depend on the special talents of your parish priest. You could make sure you had done something which is clear, but really solid. And again, the fundamental, people love the Q&A approach. Now, the disadvantages that people really started to point out in the 20, mid-20th century was very often it became just purely rote learning uh, in the sense that when I was a kid, you learned the catechism by heart. Oh, wow. You had to be able to respond to any of the questions. Man. verbatim 
Wow. This wasn't saying, you know, Robbie, you, know, you had to respond to any of the, the questions, uh, you know, by heart. And one of the things that people really didn't like uh, or criticized was that it tended to be presented very propositionally rather than in a scriptural context. Hmm. It sort of hmm. like took theory, it, it took the, the teachings of scripture completely apart from a scriptural reference. You yeah, know, like, yeah. like talking about philosophy or physics, you know, just put them out propositionally. So it might just might as well be just kind of a manifesto or a or a, uh, a uh, like a kind of a theoretical text. You know. Or like the, when you learn the axioms of geometry. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your, okay. your basic things, axioms of algebra. You know, mm -hmm. here we can accept this commutative principle, things like that. It used to be taught that way. And the riches, you know, we miss the riches of the, the context of Bible and, yeah, and fathers, yeah. or like, or like the like Wittgenstein's like Tractatus Logico Philosophicus. You know, you ever open that thing up? He just sort of just starts saying things, and those things build on other things. But you're like, whoa, where's the? Con He's like, you know, starting from the beginning. So yeah, it could probably be something like that. Well, it's sort of like how we could do grammar is, you know, grammar represents actual spoken language. Right, right. And yeah. normally in a good language course, you have actual real sentences that are a basis for anal an analysis. But imagine in with people who are gram experts in linguistics and things, mm -hmm. often you have purely theoretical discussions of saying, here's how sure. French grammar works. But without the, I, what's the term now, the, the lived experience of that thing, then it, it kind of, it can, can kind of float above the the actual thing itself so is it is there as part of what you're saying father Stephen, that maybe something that's lost that's been lost in the correction of what things were the informal way that things were in the middle ages is the kind of natural uh, kind of natural or nativeness to the faith that that's potentially a special challenge yeah we want to it's sort of want to keep it idiomatic and our idiom is the bible that's right. That's Our right. idiom is the fathers. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that we use language and things and we use an approach which is consistent with that. Yeah, yeah. In, in some sense, you can't separate form from content. Right, 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 right. You don't want to lift kind of the what you suppose to be the, the kind of structure out of it and just report on that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So some of the best thinking today is that it's important for, our, for catechesis generally to be embedded in scripture and patristics. You know, that we need to be giving it in like in foreign language, you want to give real natural sentences, you know, real conversation. And one thing we should distinguish is between um, a directory and, and a Q&A catechism, because sometimes people might be surprised when you look at some of the famous catechism of the Catholic Church. It doesn't look like a catechism at all. There are no questions and answers. Mm -hmm. Why is here's what it is. It's technically speaking is not a catechism at all in the sense of a Q&A, it's what they call a directory. Here's what a directory is. It's basically a curriculum saying, here's the contents you should have, ultimately. Yeah. And so they give this all list of, here's what the church believes organized, and it gives you all sorts of scriptural references and patristic references. And then they say what national churches do is they can take this information, now put it into an appropriate form for different audiences. For example, in the Roman Catholic world, they have a very effective catechism called, Q&A called the UCAT, Youth Catechism. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so they put that into question, and the Church of France has a, its own Episcopal catechism. Mm -hmm. And so, so if you look at the catechism of the Catholic Church, you're going to be disappointed if you're looking for Q&A. Okay. <laughs> there, there aren't time. It's basically saying it's sort of like Jeopardy. Here's yeah. the answer, and I'll give the question. So the, the method today is something like taking the, taking the catechisms of you know, the last few hundred years and sort of using them as the, 
as the the source material for kind of more pedagogical like application like is that kind of more the way things are moving uh no i think what they're they're doing more actually is just saying that when we present the q a's we want to put them in scriptural sense with a lot of okay. scripture and sort of a, a a scriptural feel to them as opposed to a purely propositional feel got it got it okay but again we're ta we're dealing with the same basic content oh, it's the same, right? yeah, yeah. same material yeah the same you have basically what we believe which is the creed and sacraments how we pray the lord's prayer and how we live the ten commandments and the two great commandments mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now the acna has issued its own catechism which is available online at the acna website yes. which is the classic q and a uh, format with a lot of scriptural references and things i uh, use a lot of scriptural language that's right it's extremely helpful i i yes. highly recommend um of course um well, do you have any final thoughts for us, Father Stephen? This has been a really helpful conversation. Well, on catechesis, I think there's something really important in catechesis, is where should catechesis take place? And it needs to be in two places, I think, to be effective. First, we have to remember the primary church for a Christian is the family. That's the That's first right, yeah. church. And so catechesis has to be, has to be, you know, teaching the faith, sharing the faith with our children has to be something they hear at home. Mm, mm, the church yeah. isn't a substitute for that. They should see how they go together. It's like learning language and things. You know that the, learning, hearing the language at home certainly helps a lot rather than just hearing it at school. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but also the trouble, especially as the society becomes around us, becomes more non-Christian. You know, secular. One thing that's important: if we have really good catechesis at home, but it's not being reinforced by the church, you can create a strange situation. Let me give you an example from language. Okay. My oldest son, like he's really young, uh, he hated that he was embarrassed if in public, if I said something to my wife in French, you know, he said, don't talk French. You know, he wanted to be like everybody else. You know, mm -hmm. don't, don't talk French. He says, okay. And so what happened, I think he felt there was something odd because he said, you've, he knows I can speak English perfectly and things. So I don't get it. Why are you, why are you speaking this other language? It just seemed awkward. How come everybody else speaks English? Why don't you just always speak English? Why do mm -hmm. you do this? Mm -hmm. yeah. Why are we doing anything different at home? And then something really happened. With my boys, I'd take them on a rite of passage was to take them on a visit to France. Yeah. And I could just see his eyes for the first time. It suddenly hit him. Wait a second. This isn't just dad. There are millions of people like this. <laughs> yeah, it's They're whole cities. You know, I've it's heard true. this with African-Americans, for example, go to Africa for the first time. You know, regular cities where they, that's the norm and they've never felt like they were the norm. Right. And it changes everything. So I think it's really helpful, essential, in a sense, for really effective. It needs to be in both places. It can't be something you do that has no connection with my life at home because the, our primary life starts at home. Sure. Like your mother tongue. But that mother tongue needs to be reinforced by a community. And the church is that community. It's really funny, actually, that you uh, you 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 bring up Africa because honestly, I mean, I'm I'm not African American, but re regarding the church, actually, that Africa was quite an experience. That was that experience for me. I actually, you know, um, gr growing up, uh, there there was a sense that we were kind of, in some ways, being a very serious Christian was in some way kind of a a minority position, you know, even in the even in the rural South. But uh, going to Africa and actually seeing is an extremely Christian society, uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Actually, that that kind of that I had that experience kind of like your son, 
um, there where I, I, th- I was, my eyes were quite open to the, to the church. I was like, Oh, every, everyone, you know, even in another part of the world, like everyone is speaking this language, you know? So it changes everything. It changes so everything. Yeah. I think you need both. Yeah. You can't, otherwise it's something we do outside, but it's not really us. If we don't somehow have it in our life at home and I mean, it's sharing our faith. Yeah. You know, share, when people hear this, they hear the faith speak, spoken of, they see it in action again, sure. they, but it's not enough. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to go out and say, this is just something strange we do at home. Right. So it's bo- both private life and public worship. So, and that yeah. together, to me, effective catechesis. So again, catech- we normally use the cat- word catechism to refer to this Q&A format popularized by Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. Although the Catholic Church does it differently because they call their directory, is called the catechism of the Catholic, even though it's I a see. directory. It's more of a directory, yeah. Yeah, but for catechesis is the basic idea. How do we get the basic faith across to people? How do we get the faith across to people? Thanks so much, Father Stephen. Thank you for listening to Word and Table. We'll be back again next week for more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening.